the thing is, even in Virginia, I believe people are missing, are, are not understanding how we got where we are, and we're still behind the eight ball oh, yeah. because of some things that's happened over the years. Yeah. So, and, and this, this, tells, this starts telling that story why Virginia has it in the first place. Yeah, so. cool. Welcome to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson. And I want to read a little story here from the news desk, so to speak. Quote, the kingfish was doing a little celebrating at the Jefferson Hotel. It was Friday night, March 10th, in a suite on the sixth floor. Senator Aubrey Gardner Weaver had earned his nickname. He was the powerful Senate Finance Committee chairman. The next day would be the final the, would be the finale of the General Assembly session. His wife, back home in Front Royal, was due to deliver a baby any day. Weaver, 61, had invited friends and associates to his suite for poker and drinks, but around 11.30, smoke began to fill the corridors of the Jefferson's East Wing, primarily on the fifth and sixth floors. Panic ensued. Guests used knotted sheets and any means available to escape the smoke and flames. Within an hour, we were laid dead. So did five others, including Lillian Price, the recently widowed former First Lady of Virginia. And that's a story from uh, a Richmond Times-Dispatch article that kind of chronicles uh, a fire that happened at the Jefferson Hotel in March, March 10th, 1944. And it was uh, that fire, along with uh, the loss of the senator and a number of other uh, political uh, powerhouses in that hotel at the time because the General Assembly was in session, the General Assembly eventually passed legislation that would become the Virginia Statewide Fire Prevention Code, and that then created the Virginia State Fire Marshal's Office. Now, it would be uh, pretty amazing to have Virginia's first fire marshal here for this podcast, as a gentleman by the name of C. Sutton Mullen, uh, but he has pa- long since passed away. So today we welcome two gentlemen who had who had long tenures in that office and who were there for some of the more recent history. Uh, but for today, please welcome the state's fourth fire marshal, Ed Altizer. Ed's retired from the state fire marshal's office. He's also been the past president of the International Fire Marshals Association. And he's only one of three people I know that were ever born in a sanitarium. And maybe we'll get into that. Also, also with Ed today is uh, Glenn Dean, uh, long fire service history, uh, started in Petersburg, I think. We'll get into that, but uh, went from Petersburg to the state fire marshal's office, and he is also a retired deputy state fire marshal. Glenn, thanks for coming. Thank you. Well, guys, uh, I don't want to go quite back all the way to the sanitarium because you're one person, and I'm the other that was born in the same hospital in West Virginia. So uh, now we, I understand. Now you understand. Uh, so we we don't want to talk about that history Ed, at all, <laughs> but we do want to talk about the history of the state fire marshal's office. So uh, let's start with you. And uh, I know you, you don't necessarily have a uh, operational fire service background that I know of anyway. But you went to that little uh, community college out there in Blacksburg. What's the name of that place? Uh, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. Yeah. So a little, little hokey 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 high. That's it. So uh, how did you get started, and what did you do out of out of tech 
Well, actually, um, I got started probably accidentally in the, in the uh, uh, Air Force. After, after Virginia Tech, I started working with the highway department as an engineer and got called up because I was already enlisted in the Air Force, just waiting for them to call me. And I spent my time in design and management in the Air Force for a few years. And as part of that, as a dumb second lieutenant, as they gave all the, which we thought were bad jobs at the time, uh, it turned out to be a good job for me, I think. Um, the boss came up and said, here, take this book and make sure our drawings meet it. I looked at it, it said life safety code on it. And for those who may not know what that mean is, it's NFPA standard 101 life safety code. It was the code in which buildings were being built by for many, many years. And some still have to meet those standards if, at the federal level. And I had no idea what it was, so I had to do the research and eventually um, learn something about it. And when I got out, a job opened in southwest Virginia in Marion for an assistant engineer in the state fire marshal's office. I was still working for the, I started back with the highway department, so I uh, digging ditches and things like that. But uh, And so um, Mr. Mullen, who was a state fire marshal, still at that time in uh, 1974, He'd been since 1949, uh, interviewed me and found out that I'd done the work in the Air Force, and he was a former military person, engineer also. And so they hired me as assistant engineer in Marion in uh, 1974, and I stayed with the fire marshal's office until 2016, uh, eventually become state fire marshal. Uh, regional manager, assistant state fire marshal, and state fire marshal. But was all your regional work out west? That you said you were in Blacksburg when you got hired. Were you working out there at the time? Or yeah, all my regional work. Uh, I was working in Southwest Virginia with the highway department, actually in Christiansburg. I guess right outside Blacksburg. And uh, of course, for those who don't know but should know, the uh, and uh, saw the job open. I just just through another friend who's working in the state fire marshal's office that I'd worked with, actually with highway department a few years before is one told me about it and said, hey, you should do it. And, and uh, so I did. And uh, there's probably more at that time, with, uh, it was probably a better opportunity than we're staying with highway department. So I did that and didn't never regret it 20 years, but learned a lot of things. Where was the state fire marshal's office located at that time? That wasn't in the Department of Housing and Community Development where I it, came into play. It there. was under the State Corporation Commission which we all cried when we left. I will say that. I don't know anyone in the state fire marshal's office that wanted to leave the Corporation Commission because, well, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. We'll talk about why. There was a reason for that. Yeah, we'll get into the history of all that. But uh, thanks for that. Now let's uh, chat with Glenn. Um, how did you get your start in the fire service? I know you, I, at least from what I know, you started in Petersburg. Where you're, did you have anything going on before that? Yeah, I was a volunteer. Uh, in a ladder company in the village of Limbrook, Long Island, New York. Oh, so you're come here? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> All military dependent too, because uh, we had uh, been in the area prior to that uh, when uh, you know we were stationed at Fort Lee. So we bounced around, but after the military, you know, we had resided in Long Island, and I became a volunteer there at uh, the ladder company, and. Uh, we still had ties to the area, so uh, Thanksgiving of 69 came down for a visit. Uh, the job I had up there at the time uh, went belly up, and the job market was abysmal. Uh, 
being a volunteer and roaming the area, stopped by one of the Petersburg fire stations and saw some fellows and got to talking. They had openings, went back to New York, thought about it, talked about it, and decided to apply. Came down December uh, 1969 and uh, went through the process, went back and uh, was told to report January 3, 1970. That was quick, quick process. Yes. Well, you didn't have a rookie school then either. Ah. So, you know, that sort of uh, uh, quickened things up a little bit. But, uh, yeah, started with Petersburg in January 70. And uh, uh, as a firefighter, and then I was a captain uh, in uh, 76. And then... Yeah, in 76, I was promoted to captain. And then 83, I was promoted to assistant chief. And I was given the position of fire marshal, which was newly created. Prior to that, it was a captain in charge of the Fire Prevention Bureau. So it was, we're going to have a full-blown fire marshal's office with all the attendant responsibilities and, and job function. So uh, went along with that until 1987. And uh, when there was a newly created position with the uh, Commonwealth of Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development, uh, State Fire Marshal's Office, uh, because in 86, General Assembly passed the Statewide Fire Prevention Code Act. Uh, it was going to be a <clears throat> statewide, as the name implies, a statewide fire prevention code. It was going to be optional local enforcement. Uh, so I was brought on board uh, to uh, help promulgate the first edition. And uh, Dennis Turlington happened to be the chair of the ad hoc committee. That's a name from Chesterfield. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so the first edition, and then my responsibilities changed to uh, advertising and uh uh, promoting local enforcement of the code. So you were out there trying to get the locals to adopt the, the local answer local questions, uh, you know, provide information, all those kinds of things uh, to get uh, as much local enforcement as possible. Because uh, you know, uh, if it wasn't enforced locally, then the state fire marshal's office had enforcement authority. Were you the state fire marshal by then? That was 80. No. No, Howard Summers Howard was. Howard Summers, Summers was, was state okay. fire marshal yeah. at that time. But yep. were you still working at Wester? Yeah, made I, no, I was, I was still, I was the regional manager for the regional office in Marion at that time. Marion. We had a regional is, office. We had. Which is even further west than even, what most people think is west. Even further <laughs> west. And I had everything west of there, which altogether I managed uh, 18 counties and four cities in terms of uh, our responsibility. And in southwest Virginia at that time, there were very few local fire marshals, and most localities didn't want a local fire marshal. And the ones that did, we really got along well with. Yeah. <laughs> we And we, we tried to, we actually was one of the things that I've always wanted to do is, is for there to be local enforcement. I think uh, the Commonwealth is better served by local enforcement. Uh, we did what we could with the staff that we had but uh, totally 100% support, would always support local enforcement of the fire code. And in that respect, I was invited to go to Jonesville out in Lee County and talk to some of the local fire, uh, volunteer firefighters about it. I mean, ultimately, they didn't adopt enforcement of it. 
But it was on that occasion I learned just how big this state is. Because when you look at the map and you go ahead and take those longitudinal, latitudinal lines on the map, when you get out to Lee County, you are actually further west than Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, it's a, it's almost you're in another time zone in most parts of Virginia out there, I think. But it, it's a good little jaunt. Um, let's go back and talk because uh, one of the questions I want to talk about is your experience of getting the local adoption. Because I was fortunate enough that all that had gone through by the time I got in the fire marshal's office, so we didn't have to deal with much of that. Um, going back to that fire in 1944. Um, that was not the first fire at the Jefferson Hotel. Right? That's that, correct. 1901, they had one that uh, destroyed, uh, the paper said, three-fifths of it. Um, and it was, um, then there was no loss of life. But I did see a report that there were a number of firefighters who were overcome by smoke in that fire. And it was caused by a defective flu, whatever that was at the time. So, uh, so they had to, that fire in 1901. They didn't open until 1906. And then this happened in 44. So what, what was kind of the environment like back then? Not that you were around in 1944 in, <laughs> yeah, in, in that office, I but I know you know the history. <laughs> really what happened, yeah, with the fire in Virginia was one of the few states that didn't have, or one of the several states, I guess, that didn't have a statewide code. Other states were coming on board uh, because of fires. And let's face it, one of the reasons we have, most codes that we have today are because of fire and some public health issues dealing with uh, sewers and things like that. But uh, the Weinskopf Hotel, for instance, in Georgia, resulted in Georgia picking up uh, some slack and doing the same thing. But in 1944, the General Assembly in Virginia only met every other year so that when this fire occurred at the end of the session and the senator was, lost his life, plus uh, I think there was a soldier and, uh, of course, the governor's, uh, former governor's wife um, lost her life. The General Assembly was out of session, so they didn't do anything that year. So two years later, in 1946, they took up the mantle and decided they needed to have a statewide regulation to help stop this type of tragedy. What it, In the previous years, now the, Virginia had a state fire marshal at the time, technically speaking, but, uh, strictly for arson investigation. So they didn't do anything from a code enforcement prevention perspective? No, there was no code, and there was an arson investigator. I'm not sure he was called state fire marshal. He might have been called the chief arson investigator for the state of Virginia and working on the state corporation commission. So the state corporation commission was given the responsibility of adopting the code. So in 1946, I think that's when they hired uh, Mr. Mullen to come up with a code, and he was given the responsibility in the corporation commission to help develop the code. And... For two years, they worked on it, and they had hearings at General Assembly. And again, 1948 is when they actually passed it, I think. And uh, it became effective in April of 1949. It was called the Virginia Fire Safety Regulations at the time, and it became a statewide code. It was totally mandated on the state, and the state fire marshal's office had authority to enforce it everywhere. So that was kind of the first big benchmark, if you will, for for the state for the yes. state's fire prevention. Now there were a lot of local governments that had a code. I think Richmond had the Southern Standard uh, uh, Fire Code, if, if you, or Building Code, whatever. But there were building codes out there. But there were that was the first state effort at it, and it it, uh, it lasted until the statewide building code. Well, actually, it lasted beyond the state the start of the statewide building code in 1973. So it was actually 
for the state of Virginia to do that, it was actually a pretty good code to start with. It was probably 50% building code, more like the building code is today, the same thing. It's fire, fire protection issues built into this code dealing with the, the new code dealing with types of construction. Mr. Mullen hired me. I was fortunate to work under him. And uh, then his chief deputy uh, was the one who interviewed me back in uh, 1974, and also worked under him. And uh, fortunate enough that those two were basically my mentors in, in fire protection engineering, other than what I had seen in the Air Force. And, and uh, they didn't teach it in college at the time, so we didn't get a lot of it in, in engineering school. What what was there anything going on in that office at the time? Because you mentioned seventy three was the when they adopted the statewide building code as well. Were you guys ramping up to support that, or was it you just filling an existing vacancy that happened to occur? No. Uh, what what really happened at the time during during those years? State fire marshal's office was given control of the uh, manufactured housing law in Virginia through the state corporation commission. We were actually helping regulate with the federal government manufactured housing. Uh, we also actually, from 1949 until uh, 1978, State Fire Marshal's Office had authority to do a fire investigation. And everybody in the State Fire Marshal's Office, all of our staff, were trained, if you would. Now, for all you fire marshals today uh, that do an investigation, and you heard Glenn say a while ago there was no fire academy. When he started, he you know, wait, that's what we did. The first fire that I investigated, I was with, we had arson investigators that had a lot of experience because we brought the arson investigators with us when they created the state fire marshal's office. They put arson investigation section and a fire protection session, fire safety section. But we all did investigations. They did, if it's arson, they did it. Other invest, if, if, if it's determined not arson, then we would do it. But we would go with them a lot. And the first one I went to, I had no experience whatsoever, and six people had died in a hotel fire in Virginia. And that was a, uh, an experience that out, you never forget. Out west? Was that in out Blacksburg? west. It was in Grundy. Grundy. I went to Anyway, it was, <laughs> it was in Grundy. So, uh, yeah, southwest Virginia, way deep, deep far southwest in the coal fields. So uh, we had a lot of experience in investigations, but we lost that when they moved the state fire marshal's office to Department of Housing Community Development. Unfortunately, yeah, my, my thoughts. Well, um, Glenn, you were involved with the kind of the promulgation of code. And I think that's where you and I kind of connected most, maybe early on, was the code development stuff and subsequent to the first edition. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was much later in the the editions, if you will. Um, what was it like working trying to get locals to adopt? The state code after it came into effect what was the what was the pushback why were they wanting to do it why did they not want to do it well um for a lot of the localities uh, that are enforcing the code now it was easy because they had been doing you know something like richmond uh petersburg i mean we were using the boca code at the time um uh places like norfolk and uh, Alexandria, those Fairfax, all of the big ones were already doing it, so it was easy. They they were just going to go with it. Uh, some of the others, uh, uh, you know, it was curious in that we're going to go ahead and enforce it at the local level because we don't want the state in here. <laughs> so that was their motivation. 
fortunately, there weren't too few. They were they were few in number. Uh, the most, as far as the majority of the state now, uh, land area wise, and the number of jurisdictions, uh, they don't enforce it at the local level simply because they don't have the resources. You know, that's one of the very first questions when I talk to local governing bodies or local officials. Uh, how much is this going to cost? And I try to advertise it in such a way to say, well, let me answer your question with my question. How much are you wanting to spend? Yeah. You know, because we can, we can tailor this thing in all kinds of ways to meet whatever resources you want to give to it. So a lot of different approaches, if you will. I mean, I can certainly understand the big jurisdictions back in the day who were already doing this. This might have made it a little bit easier for them because now it wasn't the local politicians weren't responsible for this it was more of a state did you see them taking that approach yes there were a few like that gotcha. one of the one of the things and again i went to a lot of these i went to some of the meetings with glenn when he was in southwest virginia because i was a regional manager when they started this uh one of the problems we ran into and i tried to talk them into it because we really didn't have a staff to do everything that was about ready to hit to, to come on board based on what we had been doing even though we'd like to have um, one of the things when you talk to the local the local the local fire service would have wanted to do it a lot of them wanted to do it the problem they had is when they went to their town council or city council or whatever it was and again these are small jurisdictions basically throughout southwest virginia most of them are still today their answer was well if the state's going to do it why should we if it's your responsibility why should we do it we don't have to do it you made us do the building code so we don't want to do this that was the answer we were getting a lot of it that's right because the building code was a little different or is a little different that's something that the locals have to enforce as a mini max code right well in that respect yes the usbc you know began in 1973 that was the first edition and that was mandated that was uh, um, you know given to local government you will do this um, and uh, subsequent to that uh, up until the statewide fire prevention code act passing in 1986 there was an attempt to create you know there's a volume two and that's the maintenance code mm -hmm. there was an attempt to have a volume three of the usbc and that was going to be the fire code due to the experience of this unfunded mandate for the usbc for new construction when it came to the maintenance code and the fire code, there was a lot of pushback from local government saying, look, you shoved this down our throat before, we're not gonna let, you know, we're not gonna go along with this now. So that's why uh, volume two and the subsequent statewide fire prevention code, they kind of backed off and said, okay, optional local enforcement. With both the property maintenance code being and a part of the building code. Correct. And the state fire prevention code being something totally separate at this point. Correct. But they were both uh, statewide regulations. Got it. Got it. Some, some interesting history here. Um, you know, I want to get, go back to maybe when the state fire marshal's office left. Was it the insurance commission? Bureau of Insurance. Bureau of Insurance right. and went to the Unstate Corporation Commission. DHCD, the Department of Housing and Community Development. What precipitated that transition? I don't know whether. And, <laughs> and 
for anybody who knows us and knows the history of the three of us in the state, this might get edited a bit as we go through here. You know, so, I, I, you know so, I can't. I, there's not a. Uh, there's no clean answer. Uh, there's no clean answer to it based on that you'd like to have. There's there's a couple of things that I was told at that time. I was a manager going to meetings, and we were told what was happening uh, back in 1972 and 73. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not 72. Yeah, uh, 74, 75, actually 76. And I'd been promoted 75 to the regional manager in 1975. So I was going to these meetings in Richmond hearing if you don't clean up your act, the State Corporation Commission is going to let you go. Now, I'll get to that in just a minute, the, what clean up your act, what that means. Uh, so the first effort at moving the State Fire Marshals off State Corporation Commission said no, and very, very powerful. They said no, it's not going to happen. They're going to stay with us. And keep in mind, we had the arson investigation section at the time and the fire prevention section, fire protection. And, and I was in a couple of these meetings and heard, they, heard the, what was being said. And so we said, what do we have to do? You need, and not pointing at us, and uh, the other section apparently was the ones that uh, would like to have moved because they were going to be moved to the state police and they wanted to go to the state police. And so um, apparently that was a determining factor from what we were told. And finally, the State Corporation Commission saying, good, if you take them, you're taking everybody, go. So the arson investigators, and I know I'm kind of speaking from what I know now, went to the state police, that official position. Yes. And you guys moved to housing and community development. Right. So Intact as a state fire marshal's so office. So they, they kind of split you up, investigations. And we lost all our investigation authority at that time. And then, okay. But as I re remember reading history, is that 78 was the creation of the Department of Housing and Community Development. That's correct. That was going to be my next question. How old was that department? So this is kind of... Brand new. Right. 1978. Uh, so that's... What was it? The Hall Commission, if I remember correctly? I believe it was. The Hall Commission recommended this dispersal. So 73 is the building code gets adopted. Who was it in then? Was it... That was... There was uh, a building code office under the the old uh, housing division. There was, there was another housing agency at the time. DHCD was reformed. Into this bigger, into this, I think it's DHCD. a cabinet level department. Yeah, cabinet yeah. level, but the other one was, what was it called, Glenn, do you I remember? Don't, I don't remember, But they my had, time. They had a housing division under something. But it wasn't part of the um, insurance? No, no, uh, yeah. they, they were. I believe Jack Proctor was, the name, was named the first paid person in that at DHCD no uh, in 78 yeah he was he was the first uh, no, no, I'm sorry he's at the building code office wasn't that 73 I don't think he was the first one in 73 but I don't know I, I, I believe he he worked he I, if, I, if I could remember the name I would remember who he worked under yeah and what the name of it was but I think he was over the building code but it was under this other office. And then 78, the Department of Housing and Community Development gets right. established as a cabinet level department. And right. They assume that. When the did, billing code. When did the State Fire Marshal's Office move over there? Same 78. Year. Same year. Okay. 78. We moved over July the 1st, 1978. Yeah. So uh, now you're in the in DHCD. You got no, ins 
investigation authority. Um, who was the fire marshal then? Uh, Sutton Mullins. Still was, was. When we went, he was 78. Then he assumed, when he went, when he went to, they created this new DHCD, he became the deputy director. Of the department. Of the department. And then Howard Summers was appointed the state fire marshal in 1978. Gotcha. And then from there, it went from Howard Summers to Jack Proctor. Well, what happened is Howard kept it until 1991, and he retired, and Jack was acting state fire marshal. And at that time, state fire marshal's office, state fire marshal was an appointed position so that the director could have, basically by the director. So they could have changed every they, four years. They could have changed every day if they wanted to, yeah. the way it was. Of course, you don't do that appointed positions, but so Jack was appointed as acting and kept it until I was appointed state fire marshal in December, I think the 18th, 1995. Okay. I'd, I'd been assistant state fire marshal since 93, since August 1st, 1993. So 95 began the Ed Altizer yeah. uh, campaign, if you That's will. That's kind of nervous when you're put in an appointed position, didn't know about it <laughs> until it was announced. Oh, and yeah, by the way, your job is changing here. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about that appoint, appointment position. You were kind of at, at, at will by the governor at that point, right? Well, at, technically at will by the director, but then again, the directors work, the directors work for the governor, and my thought was uh, when a governor – had authority over an appointed position, you kind of went with that appointed. Position. I would have if he said, "I, I don't know." Uh, I met the governor at that time. Was Governor Allen? I met him once. He was a nice guy. Well, I actually met him twice, but he was he was a very nice guy to work with. He uh, at that time the state was didn't have a lot of money, and we were losing positions. And I said, "We got to have some new positions." The state fire marshal's office, and they said, well, "You're not going to get them, but we'll we'll try." And I did. And one of the few people to get six new positions in that in that atmosphere of any agency yeah. like that. So it, it was kind of good. So I said, "Thank you, Governor. Appreciate that." That's a big win. It was a big one, uh, Glenn. So you you came on to develop the statewide fire prevention code, get kind of endorsement or work towards locals adoption. What were you doing at this time when Ed came on? Well, I came on board, like I said, in '87. So there was some lag time mm -hmm. for when Ed came into the position, but uh, my my job in, uh, evolved, taking on more and more uh, uh, responsibilities or getting in more involved in many other things such as training, you know, fire inspectors, building inspectors through the uh, Code Academy, uh, representing uh, you know, staying involved in the code development process, both on a uh, state level, not so much the national level, but very much so at the state level. So it was these incremental things that were taking place with the position. Uh, and then coincidentally, you know, when, uh, when Ed was named state fire marshal's office, things started to expand even more there to a national level. But again, taking care of all of those root responsibilities of promulgating the code, advertising it as much as possible, um, responding to questions uh, about uh, what does this mean, what kind of effect this has in the fire code, uh, answering local officials' questions, 
including uh, the fire safety provisions in the USBC. You know, what does this mean, and am I getting this right? You know, type of uh, kind of home conversation, te- general consultations, technical services, technical services. Yeah. Of, um, you know, uh, we had a number of people that we in the office uh, doing similar things with the USBC, and we tried to stay coordinated because quite frequently we found people were shopping for answers. No. <laughs> so we had a pretty good, uh, we, we kept things covered pretty well. This is my shock face over here. <laughs> shopping for answers? Building a, no, no. Well, it got to the point, you know, that that subsided a, a great deal after a number of years. They they finally caught on. That Re- realized that you guys in the office actually talk and all yeah. of that, all yeah. of that. And, you know, we were a pretty co- cohesive force. And, you know, it just got to the point that, uh, you know, quite often I would get make a comment and saying, okay, um, you know, I've given you the answer you need, not necessarily the one you want. Right. You said you went to did some more national work. Let's talk about that a little bit. And what do you mean by you did more on the national stage? What were you working? Well, Ed can speak to this just as well as I can, if, if not better. But uh, you know, uh, as timing would have it, when Ed came on board, uh, the state fire marshal's office kind of um, really ballooned in what it was getting involved in. Uh, because there were uh, enough good people in the office to take care of the day-to-day things. And Ed, he started branching out at the national level through the encouragement of, you know, upper management uh, to uh, uh, represent Virginia in the development of the model codes and standards. And, uh, you know, I sort of fell in the wake of that also uh, in yeah, somebody else did too. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for that. So you know what I mean. Oh yeah, I know quite well. Yeah, I followed that week right behind you. I think. So it was uh, very uh, encouraging and challenging, and uh, you know, once you get on some of these uh, committees at the national level, uh, the model code level, or the standards, or some of the. Uh, uh, exam development committees that were on, uh, uh, you find out, you think you know the code, you find out how much you don't know. Agreed. So, Ed, what was, what was the deal with this? I mean, it's, um, I mean, Glenn says, obviously, I haven't come from a department that I was able to do some of that stuff, too, and I jokingly say I followed in your wake. You drugged me along to some of these things as well and kind of helped form some things I did in my career, but... Why, why did you get into the development of those model codes or model standards? What was the deal there? Well, I think when you're doing fire protection, fire prevention, fire fighting, if you're in the fire service and you see what's going on out there, uh, whichever way, investigations, like I said, the first fire that I, they took me on, there were six people died, and, and there was no reason for it. It was a two-story building, a hotel with uh, – direct exits to, from the second floor, and it was because there was no sprinkler system. And initially, in, in Howard Summers, who was assistant state fire marshal, he was very strong advocate of sprinklers, as was I. I became that uh, always. If you, That's the bottom line of defense. You put water on a fire, it goes out. The quicker you can get there, the better off you are. And and I knew that. And, and then I uh, had to force and the uh, state fire marshal's office was also under contract uh, with the state health department to do work for the federal government 
uh, Life Safety Code for hospitals and nursing homes, and I was able to sit on some committees with that that got me involved even at the national level um, in working with the federal standards, hospitals and nursing homes. And there's, there's other fires in Virginia that cause problems. Um, we had a fire in a nursing home in Norfolk in 1989, I believe, um, that killed uh, 18 or 19, 20 people and injured 100. And um, I was a regional manager in Marion at the time and a fire protection engineer. And so I was asked to sit on the committee by the General Assembly was given to the housing community developed to retrofit sprinklers in hospitals and nursing homes. And uh, we got it done through nursing homes, and I got to sit on that committee, and the good that happened out of that, and then years later, the fire in 1994 in Petersburg at the, at the hospital down there, they killed four people, five people, mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly how many, six. But the same thing, I, I was in Richmond at the time and helped develop those standards for retrofitting sprinklers, and you, you saw the pushback from a lot of people in doing that and developing codes. You saw things not getting done, uh, put in codes that w we know would save lives uh, if there was a fire or stop a fire, dead, uh, uh, smoke detectors, fire alarms, uh, better fire alarms, better communication from the fire alarm systems or sprinkler systems. Sprinkler systems going in buildings. And I sat on some of those committees at the national leveling and uh, just you could see the good that we were doing with it and a lot of it has been done and i think seeing what happened back in, in starting in the 70s with me and i know y'all have seen a lot more than i have and on that end of it seeing that happen and wanting to do something about it i guess try to do something about it and get rid of some of the stuff that wasn't working and bringing in stuff that would work and I, and I think that's why i wanted to be involved and was fortunate enough to be supported with that to the end of my career uh, fortunate enough to sit on the board of the International Fire Marshal's Office, uh, International Fire Marshal Associations, for about 13, 14 years, as well as being president and getting to do a lot of traveling with them uh, to national meetings and representing them. So, Another great organization you drug me into there, too, <laughs> so I appreciate that. But uh, you, uh, go ahead, Glenn. There was a, there's another uh, factor in play there also. Uh, you know, there were a lot of efforts to amend the code at the state level, uh, not so successfully. But the, the message was finally received, maybe not clearly spoken, but it was clearly received that if you can get the change in the model code, you're more apt to get it at the state level. So okay, let's get it changed at, then it was BOCA, I'm, I'm guessing. And that carried over to the ICC, the International Code, yeah. Brings up some other interesting conversations that we can have offline about that. But uh, as you went through that, you, you mentioned Ed or Glenn did about how much you don't know about the code. Um, what what did you learn about the codes? Not necessarily chapter and verse, but uh, basically how it was put together, what the process was like. And uh, in anything associated with how those things get developed? Not so much the process so much. Well, yeah, yes, part of the process is that you get exposed to different perspectives. You know, we're, we're all living on our own little world, be it at a local level or even the state level. And you get this tunnel vision 
And when you get involved at the national level, you get exposed to other perspectives, and you have these aha moments. Now I understand. Now I see why, or or whatever the case may be. Uh, also, uh, you get exposed to other subject areas that uh, you know you may not have at your locality, and you begin to learn that. You know, get some insight on that, even though you may not have a um, nuclear reactor in your locality, you get exposed to some of the subject areas related to that. Just not the radiation, hopefully. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of an extreme case. Yeah. But look uh, look at what had been going on in the last few years as far as uh, photovoltaic. You know, we were getting exposed to that early on from other parts of the country that were more... Um, uh, I don't want to say advanced, but ahead of the curve. Ahead of the curve, yeah. if you will. Uh, now we got uh, you know the marijuana processing stuff and all of those kinds of things. And if you were involved at the national level, you got exposed to some of that from other states like Oregon or Colorado. Yeah, even when you knew there was no way, there was no way you were going to have issues with marijuana cultivation and processing in Virginia oops until this year so now you do <laughs> yeah and a little bit more on the timeline i mean you you're in uh, DHCD in the um, 90s now um, the fire the state fire marshal's office wound up moving out of DHCD and over to the Virginia Department of Fire Programs what uh, what kind of spawned that I, th I think it was the same thing for 30 years when we were moved from the Corporation Commission uh, to Department of Hazardous Community Development. The fire service did not like that. They did not want the fire marshal's office under housing and community development. So for 30 years, uh, it was almost exactly 30 years, I think. It, it was 30 years. Uh, we moved J July the 1st, uh, 2008. 2008 to Department of Fire Programs, and that was 30 years from July the 1st, 1978. And so the fire service, we had, there was study after study. I was involved in some of them, uh, the reasons to move the fire marshal's office, but we always lost at the General Assembly level. There was always some, a couple of groups that did not want us moved. Um, I have my personal opinion on that and why. And I think it's pretty obvious if you heard the hearings what it was. Uh, really, they had no reason um, to be, be involved in our business uh, but they were and they had a lot of weight in the General Assembly and we lost and there was there were a couple of times and I think uh, one of the times we probably could have moved but uh, it wasn't right I was asked my opinion on on a bill probably about six years before we moved and again the question of the General Assembly was all, every fire service organization has to be forward or we're not going to do anything. That was basically from day one. And so getting all the fire service together on that one issue is uh, was a problem. It's herding cats, man. It's like herding cats, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're all right. But what happened that first time, I said Virginia Fire Fence Association, and I believe there was one other one that opposed that first move. And there was good reasons for it. And I, uh, it wasn't done right. The bill, the legislation. The legislation okay. didn't do it right, and you weren't going to get it changed, and it would probably have been a little bit worse than where we were 
uh, because we would have lost a lot. Mm-hmm. So then in in um, in '78 we we had some good times with uh, Department of Housing Development. I can't I can't say that we didn't. We did. And as a matter of fact, when we when we transferred in 2008, we were probably and at our level, meaning mine and the building code office's level, probably getting along like we should have been doing since 1978, which, and we didn't always. But at that time, probably the smoothest it was, had ever operated at that time, I would think. But there was a couple of things that happened, and one of them uh, happened at the time uh, was some problems um, and I was sitting at a meeting and what's the funny story or not I didn't think it was too funny when a, a person came into a meeting of the board of the state fire chiefs association and said Ed you might want to leave we're going to talk about you again <laughs> I said oh my goodness I'm going to stay and hear what's said but at that meeting uh, the, fire marshal from, the fire marshal from Virginia Beach proposed moving the state fire marshal's office and gave some legitimate reasons for moving the state fire marshal's office. And from then on, the state chiefs took the hammer or the mantle, if you would, and went to the other fire service organizations and worked with them. And all of them came out in agreement. So they crafted the bill crafted, better. Than, crafted you know, the bill. It, it, was, it was an interesting time, and in, as it's already kind of been mentioned, unless you have, you know, uh, this uh, unanimous coalition of the fire service you know, within the Commonwealth. Not much gets done in that respect, but this was one of those occasions where the spark was lit uh, and, and you know, every fire service organization came into the same room and said, yes, we want this done, and they carried through with it, and, did, and there were no fractures. So it, uh, they, they carry through with it. I mean, we, uh, Ed and I, we, we crashed one meeting. Yes, where, we did. <laughs> where, the, uh, every, where the representatives of all of the state fire service organizations went to some other state officials and said, uh, this is what we want. We, uh, and, and, and whether that's a funny story or not, Glenn and I were told not to go to the meeting. I was told not to send any of my staff nor go. And Glenn came to me and said, are you going? I said, mm, yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you rebel. <laughs> it looked kind of funny when we walked in. But at that time. We were uh, wallflowers, though. We were yeah. wallflowers. We didn't say a lot. Uh, there was, you had to be there to see it. It wasn't a secret meeting. It was open. That's why we, we, they couldn't throw us out. But it, it got a little bit testy in the meeting with the fire service all on one side. And I know after that. I do know that there were people that tried to get the fire service to splinter off. They would go to different fire, a couple of fire service groups and ask them, well, let's do this. We'll, the oppo- the opponents were trying to split the Trying fire to split service, yeah. the fire service because the, word, the governor then, um, Governor King, uh, decided to support moving the state fire marshal's office. Yeah. It, it just goes to show the power, the political power and punch that the fire service can have if they're, if they're together. together. And just to, to hit that a little bit, I mean, you, you know, people who may not be familiar with the fire service, it's not an entity no. in, in really any state. You mentioned the State Fire Chiefs Association. That's the Association of Fire Chiefs. You don't have to be a fire chief to be a member of it, but most of the fire chiefs in, in Virginia, I'd say, are. 
you got the Fire Service Council, you've got the uh, Virginia Fire Prevention Association, you got the uh, Virginia chapter of the International uh, Association of Arson Investigators, you have uh, Firefighters Association, the which firefighters is state firefighters, primarily the, the volunteer yes. organizations in the state. Yes. The IAF, the Virginia Professional Firefighters Association, which is all of them. All of them. So, you talk about um, you know dogs and cats sleeping together. Here we have chiefs, which is the management. We have labor, which is the IFF. We have the volunteers, which don't always see eye to eye with the IAFF or, or the management. <laughs> and the Fire Prevention Association, uh, we're a bunch of fire marshals and inspectors. Now all they're coming together. Well, yep, we want that boy. That's a you're right, that can be a powerful, powerful force. To, to the point where the governor came out and said, I'm sending my man to support this bill at the, in the General Assembly, and everybody else, leave it alone. Every other state, state fire marshal stay out of it, housing meet the stay out of it. We were given those instructions not to testify. And my person will go over and testify and do that. So the governor was on board, and, and it, turned out to be a good thing at the time. I think it still is. Uh, it was at the time. There was a lot of things that happened uh, with me at the time, but uh, I kept my job, which was a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> and then you moved over to uh, the Department of Fire Programs. Uh, we moved home. We moved home, yeah. yeah. No, it made sense. And, and you know, back then, when you talk about, when I would travel and I talk about where the state fire marshal's office is, some uh, some states are in the insurance right. some are in a department on in and of their own some are in licensing state police some are in state, state police. police and when you tell people outside of virginia that you're in the department of housing and community development they go what and uh you get a little bit of history behind it too so uh, it was i think it was a good thing to move i think michigan was there at what time wasn't it it yes, may have been they were yes it may have been that ron Farr, i think is responsible for looking at what Virginia did and taking us to Michigan. Yeah. Speaking of legends, Ron Farr, I want to get him on here one day too, for sure. Yeah, he should be on. Yep. We'll, we have to go to his place in the summer in Michigan to go visit Ron. And well, or we could tell everybody to go to his place in Florida. Oh, that's true. We <laughs> could okay. go south. We could go south. So uh, what happened from there and uh, kind of uh, anything – any let's let's go back to you know kind of overall i think that's kind of where it is today um you left and a couple other people came in and came and left and uh, they've got uh different people in that executive director's position over the years but the state fire marshal still lives, lives in fire programs and we had russ chandler on uh, a couple episodes ago talking about how the virginia fire marshals academy got started up and you guys that happened in fire programs before you guys transitioned over to fire right. programs, right? So that was, you were kind of outside of that, looking in, if you will. But uh, what types of things uh, might have happened in Virginia at the time related to the fire code or fire prevention that uh, you want to make sure people are aware of that, uh, from a historical perspective? Well, I think uh, the losses that we have in the code development process, and there's still some of them out there unless they've changed, and I haven't kept up with it totally in the last five years since I retired. I, th I think that the fire service in Virginia, meaning all of them, and the uh, Virginia Fire Prevention Association in particular, the ball is in their court and to make sure our codes, or at least work on it, 
and, and bring the get the message out there that what should be in the codes and what shouldn't be in the codes. And I know there's some things that are still in there that that I don't that I didn't support uh, taking out or some things put in even in the building code that uh, I I didn't support going in. And one note on that from 19. 49, when the state fire marshal's office, the Virginia Fire Safety Regulations was adopted because of the fire in 1944 until 1989, when, uh, well, actually, it was after that. It was after I came to Richmond, probably 1996, after I became state fire marshal. The state fire marshal's office was responsible by law, by Code of Virginia, to approve all state construction. Um, under the building code. The state building official, there was a state building official at the time, or still is, but there was a law that said shall, he shall delegate the authority for, let's call it major construction, approval of all major construction, and before you could occupy the building, state fire marshal's office had to approve. So we had that authority. We still have some of it. It's still, they, ha they have to go through us but we can be overridden then now. Yeah. The law was changed to say may delegate, but state fire marshal's office still will look at it and make comments on it. So we, the state fire marshal's office still does that. All construction, called capital outlay, what they call capital outlay construction, that's the major stuff, the big expensive stuff. When it comes to code development, um, and how it can impact uh, the state's fire service. And what I'm going to speak to specifically is suppression, the operational side. I don't know that there's an appreciation yet uh, as to how beneficial the fire code can be to the operational side of things, particularly in today's environment with the lightweight construction and the contents and, and all of those innumerable things that you can speak to just as well. And how, you know, if you can affect a change in the fire code to sort of help mitigate or lessen uh, or, or render those things less impactful. You know, even like the, the uh, you know, the time of it takes for to reach flashover, uh, all of those kinds of things. Uh, you know, there's a great deal of benefit to the operational side of the fire service to stay up and stay informed, even if you're only on the edges of fire code development. The, um, a great example of that, I think, is I was getting involved in the code development process, you know, invoked the name of Sean DeCrane, uh, battalion chief from Cleveland at the time. Um, and the story goes as he was sent to the I-Code hearings to represent the IAFF on something, and something made him mad, and he got up and started speaking and wound up speaking on a dozen different code changes. And he was an operational guy. I think he may have been in training at the time, but he's not a code enforcer. No, he was a battalion he, chief. Yeah, he's a chief, chief officer, and but not a code guy. And he started realizing, hey, now we've, we actually do have a firefighter safety issue if we don't get these provisions in the code. And one of them was... Uh, for basements, to this was as the sprinkler provisions were coming into the I codes for basements to put a layer of sheetrock on exposed floor joists. Floor joists, because yeah. of the studies that UL was putting out that showed 
time to collapse when those were, were involved in fire. That got in the code. So that was a firefighter safety issue that Sean uh, really championed. And that was kind of, I think, one of the great examples of is if, if, if fire operations guys would just experience it one time and start putting the pieces together, I think they'll start to see. And I wish they would come to more of them because they need that perspective as well and that's a challenge now is there's if you look at the code hearings that are going on today how many of the people who get to testify truly have that fire operational experience and say this is what ex what happens when i go into a burning building I, I know there's still a few out there but they're long in the tooth and have been there for a while so we don't have that new blood coming in unfortunately yeah. and, well also part of that is is getting people to listen and i remember sean's been a good friend of mine for a long time. He and I worked on some things together. Um, and you're right, he came in as the battalion chief saying, look, this is what's happening. And he had a tremendous impact. And there's things that I've said in committees and people have listened to him. Uh, and and they're, they're adding a lot of things to Bill that's going to be rough in the past for firefighters or in the future, rather. Shonda, a lot, of, and we do need more Shonda Cranes and Robbie Dawson's too and Glenn Dean's and the people who've experienced those things. Um, that have stopped some of the stuff at the national level that is very hazardous to firefighters, particularly from the chemical aspect in a fire that's burning in plastics and things like that, and trying to, in insulation, and a lot of things out there that they've, that they have uh, had a tremendous impact on. But there are times that we've been there at those national meetings, <coughs> we're outnumbered 300 to 10. <laughs> It's because five hundred to twenty or it's something. Because Keith Johnson and his Fairfax crew left you hanging <laughs> on a right. code change. I, yeah, got, well, I got one story I want to tell you. Go ahead. And, and and I'm afraid I'll forget to say this because I need to. And this from the station fire, the station uh, nightclub, station fire. nightclub Rhode fire Island, in yeah. Rhode Island. And uh, I got it written down. I even put the date down. So I forget. February third, two thousand and three. A hundred people died, and several hundred were injured. And the state fire marshal at that time was a good friend of mine. I've known him for a, long, for a long time, for as long as state fire marshals can be. His name was Irv Owing, and Je Jesse he called himself, and he said, I can't talk to you about it, Ed. I'm, my mouth is sealed, and whatever his role might or could have been. But he said, uh, and this is a message I'd like to give to all fire marshals, uh, and this would apply to more than just fire marshals if you think about it. He said, one of the things I didn't do that I should have done every year is ask for more people ask for more resources. He said, when it push came to shove, I was asked the question, did you ask for those resources? And he said, I had to say, I didn't do it for the last couple of years. And they said, you probably should have. So he said, to protect yourself, at least ask for the resources. You may not get them, and a lot of times you may not or won't, but ask for them, ask for the resources you need to do the job that you think you need to do. Mm -hmm. And I just want to make that point out there, and I would offer that suggestion to Fire Marshal, and I did from then on. I ask every year. Yeah, you know you're going to have budget people from around the world now calling you, going, "Thanks for that." I hope so, <laughs> and I hope they listen. Absolutely, give it to them, give them some help. So, sometimes you can undergo a change. Uh, my epiphany, if you will, when I was still a firefighter, uh, late seventies, mid seventies, um, we attended a house fire. Uh, it was a daytime fire, morning. It was, own, it was a house owned and occupied by two Virginia State University uh, professors. 
uh, balloon frame, uh, two-story balloon frame construction. You you know the the, the scenario. Uh, lots of fire. There was more than enough fire for everybody. In fact, uh, sort of like one of those movie scenes. I find myself in the kitchen by myself, and I've got three walls on the ceiling. You know, just a sheet of flame. Uh, anyhow, we we dealt with that. We put it out. Um, and when you walk through the scene afterwards and you see what they had and they lost everything. That same shift, 20 hours later, getting ready to go off shift, house fire. The other end of the socioeconomic spectrum. They didn't have much, but they lost it all. Went back to the station and you know, as a firefighter, that's what you're there for, that's what you want to do. And I'm thinking, this is not right. Looking at these two fires in the same shift at the opposite ends of the spectrum, in order for me to have my fun, somebody's got to lose, this ain't right. And I think that's what started me down the path towards the prevention and code enforcement side. Well, we've uh, we've gone for a bit over an hour. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you this one last question. Usually, I say what um, you know. What would you share with a, 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 a rookie school that's getting out, or uh, and I'll offer that if you want to answer that question. But you said uh, you know we need to be we as the fire service needs to be more involved in the codes process. What what advice would you give somebody who's out there who's a company officer today or a firefighter? How do they get involved in that? What what should they do to take that first step to getting in that field or that arena? I would say um, invite an inspector or a fire marshal to the station for dinner one evening and just begin the process of, tell me about your job. You as a fire marshal or a fire inspector probably already know mine. I want to know about yours. I did that. I started talking to a lot of the inspectors and you know started picking their brain. I think one of the things, and again, I haven't seen too much since I um, retired, but one of the things I encourage people to do if you're a fire marshal is to get involved at the local level, if you have that state level, uh, get involved with VFPA, push hard to in the code development, get involved in that. But also, um, I think one of the things I've heard over the years, particularly at the local level and at state level, we used to don't bring people in without any experience anymore. We used to years ago, but now uh, when we open up positions, we usually have people with experience, so we don't get a lot that we have to train totally. They usually are certified when they get there. But if you want to be a, if you would like to be a fire marshal, be a fire marshal. You know, um, I've heard a lot that. In, in the fire service that uh, sometimes you use it just to get a promotion and you don't get involved. And we need people who are interested in working at the state and local letter levels to get involved and hopefully get support from their localities to do that. We need the local fire marshals. If, if I had my way, every locality in the state of Virginia would have a fire marshal. Uh, the state can't do it all, they, and they shouldn't. There's, there's different reasons for that. but. 
but don't would, have enough people is probably the biggest one. Don't have, yeah, don't, yeah, don't have enough people. We'd like, we'd like to do, we want to do more than we could, and that's why I kept asking for resources. Things are not getting done out there that local governments can do. But the other side of that is, uh, if you're a volunteer, if, if, if you want to be a fire marshal, start working on it and uh, make it a career rather than a two-year, and not everybody's that way. But luckily, uh, I've worked with a lot of localities in Virginia in which the fire marshals were fantastic to work with. Ed, uh, Ed touched on something you and I, Robbie, you and I both can attest to. When you get named into that position, it takes you about three years to ramp up. And that's just about the time that a lot of departments will rotate that person right out of there. Yep. So you've got that loss. Uh, the fire, uh, being a fire marshal or being a fire inspector is not a career ender. It's a career beginning. Uh, I would say that you've got a lot more opportunities that way than you do through suppression as far as a career is concerned. So uh, I would advocate that you know departments that have an inspection bureau or a fire marshal's office, that they keep those people in position as long as they possibly can. One of the things I would say, as state fire marshal, I was successful in some reasons and some ways and maybe uh, more, get more credit for some things that I was given credit for that I probably didn't deserve as much. I uh, wasn't totally dumb, though, and the fortunate part, I was in Virginia, and Virginia has a great fire service. There's no question about it compared to some other things I've seen. But as a state fire marshal, one of the things I found out that I needed to do from day one, when I came to Richmond Assistant State Fire Marshal, if I needed help or we had problems, I know it's, it's going to go statewide. Whether or not I was always right, could have been wrong sometimes, I'd pick up a phone and call somebody. Robbie happened to be one of them sometime when he became <laughs> fire marshal. Uh, uh, there, there was a lot of names that's been mentioned here today, or a few names, that I've talked, picked up the phone and called and asked each one of them for help. And I hope the state fire marshal out there today, whoever he is or will be, come. I think they're searching for one now, understands that he can only be he or she can only be successful if they work with the local fire marshals and they work together as a team. And I think we did that, at least I think we did. Maybe they're just doing it because they pitied me. I don't know. <laughs> that could have been, he needs all the help he can get. But we they were right, and, and we did a lot of good things. Uh, as an ex I'll give one example. Uh, we, at the national level, uh, the codes, both national model codes, have adopted requirements for residential sprinklers in one and two family dwellings, one, two, and three family dwellings. Virginia's never adopted those. Uh, although we pushed hard and pushed hard. But at the national level, I had a, a fortune, uh, not only was it an International Fire Marshal Association, as state fire marshal, I was a member of the National Association of State Fire Marshals. And uh, uh, a, a, a quick story, Rob, if you have time. Uh, I, I didn't. Well, got did, plenty of tape, man. Keep it, keep it going. I, I didn't go to many <laughs> of their meetings. Uh, I'd go maybe once a year or something. I didn't deal with them too much because I was doing it if the International Fire Marshal Association. And, doing some other stuff <laughs> in the state. and uh, But I represented Virginia at uh, the International Code Council hearings. It might have even been Boca back in the day, but I think it's International Code Council hearings in Cincinnati. And uh, the National Association of State Fire Marshals had decided they'd put in some code changes, which anybody can do. And they uh, submitted code changes, and they went up when they did their testimonies, and all they said was, we're in the Association of State Fire Marshals, and we think you ought to do this, and we'd like to have your vote. And they'd say, you know, we're the fire service, we need this. And I sat there and I listened. They lost everything by even the fire services voting against them. And I 
So when I got back to the office, I uh, wrote the president, who was also a friend of mine, from, I think it was Jim Burns in New York at the time, and I said, Jim, if y'all are going to deal with code, you're going to need somebody that knows how to do it and learn how to do it. I said, y'all lost everything. We lost everything, meaning we, because I was a member. I said, we lost everything because we didn't approach anything. You tried to eat the elephant in one bite, and here you're, you can't do that, and it's not going to happen in any code. It, you're never going to be 100% right all the, when you do these things. So about a week later, I got a message that said, you're now the chairman of the new National Association of State Fire Marshals Code Committee. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thanks for your input. Here's your work. Yeah. And here you are. And by the way, we're going to do this, this, and this. And so we actually got a lot of things changed. And one of the things we did, and I'm fortunate to still be chair of the committee, I helped write the, the code change to have uh, – Sprinklers put in single-family dwellings in the ICC code, International Code, uh, uh, Residential Code. And during the hearing, uh, some of the fire service or some people wanted not to get it passed and wanted to change it and rewrite it. And they came to me and said, Ed, this is your proposal. You're going to be heard first. We want you to say, let's put yours at the end of the hearing and we want to do ours first and this was another fire service group and i said no i'm not i'm not willing to do that uh, i said let me go to the virginia contingent because and this was my point virginia had a huge contingent at that spread out from several different localities in virginia had been supporting codes and and i guess they continued to do so but at that time and uh, as long as i stayed fire marshal they sent people these code hearings and I, so I went to the Virginia group and said, look, I don't want to do this, but they're asking me to do it. Since, since y'all are here in, in force, what do you want to do? No, no, we want, to, we want the vote. And uh, I went to a couple other states and went to President Nassim, and he said, whatever you want. I said, well, we're not going to do it. And so we didn't, and we actually won the vote. So we got it passed. And, that was, and, and I give a, about 50% of the credit to the Virginia Fire Service and 50% to Colorado and a couple other big contingents, but we had the most there supporting that for good reason. And that's the way Virginia Fire Service has worked in the uh, code development area and along for a long time, and we've been had a lot of voice in it. And I hope that Virginia will step up to the plate, Fire Service step up to the plate and keep it up. I think at that time, Virginia was the second largest contingent, second to California in attendance to that meeting. That's correct. Colorado was third, I think. I remember those days. So, uh, well, uh, let's wrap it up. And I'll, I'll offer this one bit of advice. I mean, it, depending upon where you're at in, uh, in your career and where you are geographically, because I know this is being heard in a lot of different places, not just Virginia. If you're interested in how to get involved in that code process, if you want to drop me an email, I'll, um, I'll send it to Ed, and Ed can help you. <laughs> I'll, I'll try. We'll, we'll certainly try to guide you in the right direction for anybody who wants to get involved in that. And that email is firehouselogbook at gmail.com. Just shoot me an email. We'll, we'll connect that way. Or you can catch up with us on Facebook at FD Logbook and follow along there as well. Uh, but um, just to wrap it up, I want to say thanks to Ed Altizer and Glenn Dean. I, you know, I joked a little bit about being drug along through your wake. Uh, and my path was not unlike Ed's. I kind of asked a question one day, and the next thing I know, I'm on a code committee for the fire board, and the next thing I know, I'm on a committee for the International Fire Marshals Association. And, and the next thing you know, you're chairing a committee. And the next thing I'm chairing, and, and it, it kind of went downhill or uphill from there, depending upon your perspective. <laughs> careful what you uh, ask uh, for, you might get up. Exactly. So uh, I appreciate you guys helping me down that path, and uh, 
all the advice and support. And you're right, we talked, I don't know, I'll call it frequently over the years, asking code questions and bouncing ideas off of each other. So uh, I appreciate that those conversations as well. And uh, thanks for uh, – Thanks for keeping me hydrated in Palm Springs. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm glad to do that again. <laughs> it's an awful dry out there. There's, if I a long, there's a long story behind staying hydrated for code hearings in Palm Springs. So. You know, you just mentioned something that you probably should tell everybody. We probably should have told everybody also. Don't hesitate to pick up the phone and call the fire marshal from another jurisdiction yeah. because they probably had the same problem you have. Uh, yep. We all have the same problems when it comes to that. And the, the funny story is, is it, it's, it's, it, it was always interesting when I had a, call it a customer arguing a fire code issue. And, well, they let me do that in Henrico. Really? <laughs> Pick up the phone, dial Henry. What are you doing? I'm calling the fire marshal in Henrico. He's a good friend of mine. Oh, well, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> or the state lets me do it. Really? We call Ed. <laughs> Wait, well, uh, uh, so. Absolutely. That, and that, that's a good reason for calling because you do get that all the time. It happens. It happens for sure. So. With that, you guys got anything else to share? No, sir. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, this is great. I want to do it again with you, Glenn. Uh, You know, I know the 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 book you shared with me and a fire that happened in Petersburg many years ago, 1982, if I remember right, that you were at. And um, I think we're going to get together and talk about that one for sure at some future date. But uh, that'll wrap us up for today, guys. Thanks. uh, Thanks for coming out. Thank you. Thank you. 